The Gonzaga Bulldogs are 1-0 after an outstanding display of hoops on Monday night against North Florida. We're going to look at the stars of the game and my key takeaways right here, Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on another season of Gonzaga Hoops. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Bet BetOnline has you covered this season with more props, more odds, and more lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. The Zags are 1-0. The season has officially begun after what felt like a crazy long offseason for the Gonzaga Bulldogs. They are back, and the concerns we saw in the exhibition game against Tennessee seem to be in the rearview mirror after Gonzaga put together a very, very solid all-around performance. Yes, it was the North Florida Ospreys, and yes, they are not the caliber team that Tennessee is. I don't want to inflate those two things, but yes, the Zags did look much, much better in this game, and I think we can breathe a little bit of a collective sigh of relief, particularly about you know the defensive communication, something that we saw was a pretty significant challenge for the Zags against Tennessee. Uh, some of the other concerns that we saw in that game just didn't really show up as much in this game. The Zags looked more polished, more prepared, uh, looked like the lineup was a little bit more set, uh, and we we got ourselves a significant blowout. The final score for those who missed it, 104 for the Zags, 63 for the North Florida Ospreys. Uh, we're going to talk about a few of the highlights, the good and the bad. In the first segment, we're going to take five key takeaways from the game in segment number two, and then we're going to close out the show looking at some other games around the NCAA that have an impact on Gonzaga going forward. All right, so the Zags played 11 players in this first game, that was really great to see. We didn't quite see everybody that we thought we might see. Caden Perry did not play with a back injury. We did not see Braden Huff. But we saw basically everybody else. Six of Gonzaga's 11 players who were on the court scored in double figures. An- another testament to the the depth that is on this team, the amount of talent, the multiple different players who can defeat you game in and game out. It makes it so difficult for game to game plan. Like You, you want to game plan for... It's hard enough to game plan for Gonzaga's five starters, and you have Malachi Smith coming off the bench. We'll talk a little bit more about him, but he had an incredible game, led the team in minutes, 15 points off the bench. So you got a game plan for him. You got a game plan for Rasir Bolton to get really hot in a hurry. You got a game plan for, of course, National Player of the Year frontrunner Drew Timmy. Now it looks like you might have to game plan a little bit more for Anton Watson. And again, we said six out of 11 players in double figures. Eight out of 11 players had six or more points. Eight players For the Zags scored six or more points in this game. Ten out of the 11 players scored, period. The only player who did not score in this game was Ben Gregg. Uh, Everybody else at least got the ball in the hoop one time or another in this game. It was a really, really balanced, well-oiled machine for the Zags throughout this game. Uh, I want to talk about Anton Watson. I want to lead with Anton Watson in this episode because for a a good chunk of this game, he looked like the best player on the court. And and I know that obviously he's not going to compete with Drew Timmy and Julian Strother for best player uh, on Gonzaga. And in many games, he won't be the best player on the opposing team. But for today, for a period of time, Anton Watson looked like the best player on the basketball court. And I think that deserves to be celebrated. It deserves to be mentioned. Anton Watson, again, is one of those guys who does a little bit of everything on the basketball court. He does the dirty work. He gets the loose balls. He knocks the ball away from the opposing team. He, he does everything that the stuff that does show up in the box score, stuff that doesn't show up in the box score. 
looking at the box score, it was pretty darn good for Anton Watson in this game. 10 points, 5 of 8 shooting. He had a career-high 5 steals, really, really active on the defensive end of the floor. Not that we are surprised by that at all. That is who Anton Watson has been since he started at Gonzaga a couple of years ago. He also had 4 boards and 4 assists. Most of this happened in the first half, mind you. was a little bit quieter in the second half and didn't play a ton down the stretch as Gonzaga kind of emptied the bench and let guys like Ben Gregg uh, get some more minutes. Um... Excellent defense. He looked more comfortable as a distributor on offense, which was really fantastic to see. Uh, we saw him moving the ball pretty well, uh, kind of initiating that high-low offense in a way that he hadn't done early in his career. So it was really nice to see Anton have a nice, well-rounded performance to open up the season. Of course, Drew Timmy had a great game. Uh, not necessarily the best game of his career. He wasn't super efficient, missed some bunnies that he doesn't normally miss, but still had 22 points, three steals, a pair of rebounds. Uh, 10 for 19 from the field. Uh, not great, but some of the moves that he had were just phenomenal. He went to his left on one and had like a fadeaway left-handed hook shot that was just beautiful off the glass. He had a couple other moves where he attacked early. I, I love seeing that from Drew when as soon as he gets the basketball, he knows what he wants to do with it. One dribble, spin move, gets to the lane, scores easily. Those kind of moves are just impossible for defenders to stop. Not just North Florida defenders, but even top-tier defenders. When he gets the ball with a little bit of momentum ahead of steam and he knows what move he's going to do, we haven't seen a lot of defenders stop him at any level in his collegiate career. He's gone up, gone up against Evan Mobley. He's gone up against Brady Manek. He's gone up against handfuls of others. Oscar Shubway a couple of years ago at West Virginia. He's gone up against some of the best of the best. And he is when he has the ball and knows what he wants to do with it, he is otherworldly at, at scoring the basketball. Malachi Smith, I want to talk about him here. Uh, he, he was phenomenal. He looked absolutely incredible. He came off the bench immediately, had two really, really acrobatic lay-ins. Uh, he played a team-high 30 minutes in this game, more minutes than Drew Timmy, more minutes than anybody else on the roster. He had 15 points, six boards, three assists, seven of 10 shooting for Malachi Smith, just a hyper-efficient, well-rounded game. Uh, really, really nice to see him get in on the action and immediately look good. He has a kind of Joel Ayayi-esque ability to go get rebounds uh, in a way that a lot of other guards don't necessarily do. I think that that allows Gonzaga to play some of those smaller lineups in ways that you know, they were able to do a couple years ago with Joel Iai, with Corey Kispert, with, of course, Jalen Suggs and Andrew Nemphard, because Joel kind of playing that three role was able to go get five or six or seven or eight rebounds a game. And Malachi Smith can do that, too. It's very clear that he's going to be able to do that. Yes. Is he going to rebound as well against Kentucky or Texas uh, that he did against North Florida? Probably not. But again, I, I don't think that there's a reason to believe that he's incapable of rebounding against those teams. I think he just he's going to be in a situation where he's going to be asked to be a bit more of a wing, a bit less of a guard. Uh, and I think he's going to handle that just fine. Every every instance in this game where we kind of saw him playing a little bit away from the uh, the point guard position, he looked fantastic. We also saw him be a facilitator. We saw one of my favorite plays of the game. Malachi Smith got a rebound, went 92 feet. He went literally baseline to baseline to try to get a lay-in, didn't have anything there, turned around, found a trailing Rasir Bolton, hit him perfectly in stride. Bolton catch, planted his foot, bang, drained three. It was a beautiful, beautiful play. And, of course, Rasir Bolton gets the credit for getting the three points, but Malachi Smith made that play happen. And then, of course, the defense, not an issue, just wasn't an issue. 
North Florida only scored 63 points. They were not particularly efficient. Gonzaga handled screens extremely well. I loved watching Efton Reed. We'll talk more about him in the second segment, but the way he navigated screens at the top of the key, the way he quickly switched, found his man, like you can tell he's done this before, and that was a staple of what he was able to do in Will Wade's defense at LSU, but you can tell. You can tell he's ready to do this. He can handle that kind of stuff really, really well. The Zags rebounded really well, and they had really active hands. We said Anton Watson had five steals. Uh, Hunter Salas had a couple of steals. The Zags were poking the ball away constantly, got out in transition a bunch. Uh, I, I think the defense is much more polished than it looked like in that Tennessee game. I'm sure we'll see dips as the season goes on, particularly as other teams kind of figure out ways to maybe uh, get into Gonzaga's defense and push the issue of, of them not having much of a rim protector. But in this game, they, that did not look like a problem for them whatsoever. Last positive thing I wanted to mention, the Zags were 13 of 16 from the free throw line. Always love that. Always love seeing the team shoot well from the charity stripe. Uh, the bad news for this team uh, in this game, uh, we'll go through quickly. There's not a ton uh, to talk about here. They were 5 for 13 from deep. That's not great. Uh, obviously, only five made three-pointers isn't ideal. Uh, Rasir Bolton was three of four. The rest of the team was two for nine, which you don't love. Strother and Smith each hit one out of their two attempts. And then Watson, Timmy, Harris, Ben Gregg, and Hunter Salas each went 0 for one. So I'm not super concerned about it because Gonzaga wasn't making the three-point shot a priority in this game. They didn't need to against North Florida. They could pound the ball in the paint. They got out and transition a bunch. Uh, I don't think that 5 for 13 in the first game is anything to be overly concerned about, but it is notable. And, and for a team that is kind of being touted as one of Gonzaga's best three-point shooting teams in a very long time, you would like to see that tick up, particularly against not-so-great opponents. Uh, ben Gregg played five minutes, and he just he didn't look great, to be perfectly honest. Uh, he, his defense is still suspect. He, he mismanaged the screen at the top of the key, gave a guy an easy lay-in, uh, committed a foul on a guy who was, who was about to score. Just small stuff like that that I know that he will continue to improve on and continue to tick up, but he just doesn't quite look ready to contribute on the defensive end of the floor. Didn't do much offensively, but I'm not overly concerned about his offense. I think he is going to be a good outside shooter and a guy who can contribute on that side of the floor. We just didn't really see it in this game. And I mentioned no Caden Perry with the back injury, no Braden Huff in this game as well. Hopefully we'll get a chance to see those young guys at some point this season. All right, five takeaways from the game coming up, including point guard Hunter Salas which we got to see for a fun brief period of time. Efton Reed's debut and Gonzaga running a unexpected four-guard lineup. But first, our partners at Nissan have worked with us to create a new segment across the Locked On College Network titled Thrilling Moments, where we highlight the most exciting play from the Zags' latest game or throughout the team's history. Malachi Smith's long-awaited Gonzaga debut was outstanding on Monday evening and all began with his first two buckets, a pair of acrobatic lay-ins that wowed the kennel crowd. In a game full of highlights, Malachi's introduction to the kennel club was a favorite. This segment has been inspired by the new thrilling designs featured across Nissan's new lineup of vehicles. Pursue what thrills you in the all-new Frontier, Armada, or Pathfinder today. Available now at NissanUSA.com. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags. I want to thank all of you for making this podcast your first listen of the day. For your second listen today, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. All right, five key takeaways from the game, talking about some things that we were not able to cover in the first segment of today's show. Takeaway number one, we're just going to get right into it. 
Hunter Salas is a point guard. Hunter Salas played some minutes where he was very clearly in the point guard role on the roster. This happened when Nolan Hickman was on the bench. Uh, I think Salas is probably the third point guard behind Rasir Bolton, but I'm not. But he might be. He might be number two. He might be the guy who plays the majority of minutes at the point guard when Nolan Hickman is not in the game. In this situation, he was playing point guard. Malachi Smith was on the floor. Smith was clearly not playing the point guard role. So to me, uh, one of my big preseason predictions was that Nolan Hickman and Malachi Smith would split minutes at the point guard position. That does not look like it's going to be true. It looks like Malachi Smith is almost exclusively going to play off the ball creates a situation where Rasir Bolton and or Hunter Salas, uh, potentially Dominic Harris as he gets his legs underneath him and starts to play more minutes. Maybe he will kind of fit or, figure into that point guard mix as well. But Salas was a guy that wasn't really on the radar to be a true point guard because he's so much of a slasher, so much of a, a high-level athlete, and we just hadn't really seen him be a distributor, be a facilitator, even really just be a ball handler. We just didn't see much of that from him when, during his freshman season. It didn't mean that he's not able to do it, and clearly the coaching staff feels very comfortable with him bringing the ball up the court and, and helping facilitate the offense. It just wasn't something that was really on the radar. Salas had a really nice performance in this game. 10.6 boards, 2 assists, 2 steals for him. So again, another one of those uh, lines that really stuffs the stat sheet that would be great if you played college fantasy basketball. 4 of 7 shooting, 2 for 2 from the free throw line. So an efficient offensive night. Uh, really good. Just He looked smooth running the point. He, he We saw some over-eagerness. We saw a few opportunities where he tried to do a little bit more than he was maybe should have tried to do in that moment. It caused a turnover. We saw some instances where he, he, he was just a little overexcited. That happens. He's a young guy. He's trying to make his mark. He's trying to prove himself. I think overall the performance for Salas today, or excuse me, on Monday was very, very positive. I'm excited about his future with this team. Defensively, he's just, he's such a difficult player to have guarding you. He's so tenacious. He's so athletic. He's in your face. I mean, every other Gonzaga defensive player gives their gives whoever they're guarding a little bit of slack. Salas just doesn't. He's just right in their grill pretty much every time, Whether regardless of the defense, regardless of the situation. Hunter Salas is right in your kitchen, and he's so athletic that he can do that and not give up dribble penetration. It's been so fun to see him kind of mature and grow into that role. And now having a different role offensively where he gets to be a bit more of a distributor, I think this could be huge for his draft stock, huge for his potential NBA future. And if he's able to do it really successfully, really important for Gonzaga as well. Takeaway number two, Efton Reed is the next great Gonzaga big. We may have known this. We may have already known that when you get a top 25 recruit after one kind of down season in college to transfer to your program, and Gonzaga, when they get big men to transfer their program, guess what? They're usually pretty darn good. Brandon Clark, Jonathan Williams, Kyle Wilshire, the list goes on and on and on. Gonzaga has had tremendous success recruiting bigs out of high school and recruiting bigs via the transfer portal. And Efton Reed is next. He played 12 minutes in this game. The only, the only reason he played so little is because he fouled out, and that's something that he's going to need to work on, especially as he kind of matures into more of a, a rim protection, low post role, a role he didn't really have at LSU with Will Wade, which sh was shocking to me just kind of learning more about his role after he committed to Gonzaga, but also just watching him play. I'm like, how? This dude is so big and so uh, he's a load. He's seven feet. He's 240 pounds. He looks every single inch of it. I'm like, why would you not play this guy around the rim? And he looks really smooth down there offensively. Really smooth. Eight points, eight boards, two steals in 12 minutes. In 12 minutes, he was he was very close to pulling together a double-double in barely a fourth of the minutes played in this basketball game. He has a really old-school game. 
back to the basket. He's got a little baby hook shot that, you know, is reminiscent of, of big men in the 90s and early 2000s in the NBA game. Uh, he's three or four from the field. He was two for four from the free throw line. That's something to monitor for Efton Reed. He was a very, very bad free throw shooter at LSU, about 46, 48 percent. Uh, while at LSU, so two for four is kind of on par with what he tends to do. Again, remember Gonzaga missed three free throws the entire game. Efton Reed missed two of them. Uh, it could be something that impact. I don't think he's going to be like a, a closing lineup guy for Gonzaga anyway because they have Drew Timmy, but it's something that would absolutely impact his ability to be on the floor in late-game situations if he's not able to to bring up the free throw percentage. Takeaway number three, Gonzaga ran a legit four-guard lineup. And I say legit because we have been calling lineups that with three guards, Julian Strother, and a big man, a four-guard lineup. And it is. Julian Strother is a guard. But this was a legit, legit four-guard lineup. They did not include Julian Strother. The Zags did not run this lineup for very long, but I was very fascinated to see it on the floor. That lineup in the second half, Nolan Hickman at the one, Rasir Bolton at the two, Malachi Smith at the three. I guess Hunter Salas was playing the four, and Efton Reed at the five, perhaps Smith and Salas were, were flipped there. Again, this lineup was not on the floor for very long. I think Julian Strother came out briefly and then came back in, but I'm intrigued. <laughs> I, I can't not be intrigued by seeing that lineup. We've been kind of touting this potential four guard lineup, potential situations where Gonzaga runs some small ball, uh, a small ball lineup out there and kind of gets the opportunity to, to get out more in transition and run it against teams where they can kind of get away with not having as much size on the floor. In this situation, they had Efton Reed playing the five, so they did have some size, just four of Gonzaga's smaller players around him. Uh, Again, it was pretty temporary, but I'm going to be curious to see if we're going to see lineups similar to this uh, going forward, especially in league play when Gonzaga's playing some of those teams that don't have a lot of size. I don't think they're going to try this against, you know, Texas or Baylor, but they might be able to try it against uh, some of the other teams they play in the non-conference and even getting into conference play as well. Takeaway number four. Rasir Bolton is a microwave. The man can get hot in a hurry. He did not score in the first half of this game. Didn't score. Zero points in the first half. He looked good. He was distributing the ball well, but he was quiet offensively. And then in the first four minutes of the second half, Rasir Bolton dropped all 11 of his points. Back-to-back threes, hit another three very shortly after that. Just a, a dynamic performance from Bolton in the way that they always are. He's always so quietly efficient. I feel like Rasir Bolton's the kind of player that you look at the box score and you're like, he did what? He had how many points? Because he does it so discreetly, so quietly, so kind of effortlessly in a lot of ways. It almost doesn't seem like he's having as big of an impact on the game as he actually is. Bolton was four for five in this game. So again, you'd be forgiven if you didn't realize how big of an impact he had because he only took five shots. Four or five shooting, three or four from deep. Super, super efficient. He shot 50% from three in league play last year. Shooting 75% uh, through the first game of the season. Uh, Really, really nice performance from Ross. And finally, takeaway number five for the Zags and their win over North Florida. Colby Brooks is the next Connor Griffin. I've kind of felt like he has a similar vibe to Connor Griffin. For those who don't remember, Connor Griffin was a walk-on for Gonzaga, I think the 2015-2016 seasons. He ended up transferring to UW to play tight end which he did for a little bit, and then he ended up at Pepperdine as a grad student, uh, and I think he now works uh, in the NBA. I'm not actually sure what he does. I think he does. He works in video coordination uh, in the NBA, but highlight real player, could throw down some thunderous dunks in practices, always tried to throw him down in games, uh, was another one of those walk-ons who got to play the last few minutes of the game. Colby Brooks looked great. 
Kobe Bryant, his first, he's been on the Gonzaga roster for two years now. Did not play a single minute in his first two seasons in a Gonzaga uniform. Now, of course, Will Graves is at Southern Oregon. Matthew Lang is at Arizona. There's an opportunity for walk-ons who haven't played yet to actually get those minutes. Colby Brooks stepped in. He scored four points in this game. He had a really acrobatic lay-in. I couldn't believe it was him when I saw who scored that shot. It looked really, really effortless, really, really talented shot there. But again, Brooks was a high-level AAU player. This dude was very, very good in high school. He could have played at other Division I schools or at least high-level Division II programs, chose to come to Gonzaga. Now he's getting the opportunity to get out there and play and show what he's capable of doing. Whether he turns that into a a career somewhere else uh, via the transfer portal or not is hard to say, but right now it's very cool that he gets to play, put on a Gonzaga uniform and score points in the kennel because not a lot of people get to do that. Now we're going to come back in the third and final segment of today's show. We're going to take a look around college basketball, specifically at some results that will be of interest to Gonzaga fans, some WCC games that didn't go as we expected, and of course what Michigan State was up to in their first game before they played Gonzaga on Friday. But before we do that, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. College basketball and the NBA are back in action, and college football and the NFL remain in the thick of their seasons. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all of the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They even have lines for coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, segment three, still any patents, still locked on Zags, and we're talking day one hoops for college basketball. There was hundreds of... Hundreds of games going on uh, for college basketball to begin the season. Every top 25 team played. Almost every WCC team played. In fact, I think every WCC team played. Really, really exciting day for the sport of college basketball. I want to talk about a few games that stood out to me as being of note for Gonzaga and their fans. Uh, The first game was one of the first games that happened on the entire day, and that was Stanford Pacific. Not a game that I thought was going to be particularly notable, but the Pacific Tigers came within 10 points of defeating Stanford. I'm not sure how much this game, what it says about Pacific versus what it says about Stanford is a little too early to tell in the season. I think there was some optimism that Stanford would potentially be uh, a top five team in the Pac-12. Harrison Ingram returned after being a guy that was expected to be a one and done. Uh, He came back for his sophomore year, expected to be a really big contributor for them. He was kind of quiet in this game. But for Pacific to be right in the thick of this game, I thought they were going to win for huge chunks of the game. Uh, That says a lot. Pacific's brand new roster. Basically, their whole team is transfer portal players. So getting a sense of who's going to, you know, what this team is going to look like is really hard to do. And right now, all we have to go on is the fact that they played well with a potential top five Pac-12 team. And that's something to note. Uh, UTSA transfer Jordan Ivy Curry was the star for the Pacific Tigers. He had 23 points for them. Uh, so this is a, a team I'm monitoring. Uh, is Pacific going to challenge Gonzaga? Uh, probably not. But we've been penciling Pacific in the last or second to last in the pack in the WCC for a long time, and they may be proving that they're going to step out of that. They may be somewhere in the five to seven range. As we know with the WCC, anything between about four and nine uh, can kind of go anywhere. So Pacific might be in that conversation in that in that range. 
Next up, St. Mary's and Oral Roberts, one of the most exciting mid-major games of the entire slate of opening day college basketball games. St. Mary's did come out of this one victorious, 78-70. to The big star for St. Mary's, the big story, is freshman Aiden Mahaney. He was phenomenal. He didn't start for St. Mary's, which was a little bit surprising because he was a high-profile recruit for them, but he came off the bench, and he had 25 points. He dropped 25 for the Gales off the bench in his first ever game. Really, really nice performance from him. I spoke with Jason Jordan of Sports Illustrated a few weeks ago on Locked on Zags about some of the freshmen that Gonzaga is going to face this season. We talked about Aiden Mahaney. I'll link to the uh, article that I wrote about it in the show notes, but he's going to be a player that Gonzaga fans are really not going to like in a couple of years. I don't know if he's going to reach Del Vadova levels, but uh, certainly Jordan Ford levels or Emmett Nahr levels or uh, maybe Jock Landale levels of distaste because of how talented he is uh, and just the style that which he, which he plays with. I mean, for him to drop 25 points, uh, anybody dropping 25 points for St. Mary's is notable because St. Mary's plays such a slow, plodding, methodical offense that you just don't see a lot of guys get up into into 20-point-per-game territory. So for Mahaney, this is noteworthy, absolutely, to, to continue to watch how he does uh, as the season goes on for the Gales. Next up, the final WCC result, uh, BYU and Idaho State, another game I did not think that we would be talking about because it seemed like kind of a shoe-in, but BYU escaped. It's, it's almost... Oh, man, they almost lost. They really, really almost lost this one to a bad bad Idaho State program. They ended up winning 60-56, to but this was a brutal, brutal game of basketball. BYU was 3 of 16 from deep. They shot 37% just from the field in general. They were under 70% from the free throw line. They just, they their offensive identity is gone. No Alex Barcelo has really just dampened this team's offensive hopes. Fusini Traore, who was a freshman last year, one of the best freshmen in the WCC, he looked great. He had 15 points, 10 rebounds in this game. Uh, that was a huge boost for BYU. But other than that, they just don't have they don't have a killer like they had with Alex Barcelo. The, the guy who came in who's supposed to kind of fill that role was Coastal Carolina transfer guard Rudy Williams, who I think averaged like 16 per game at Coastal Carolina. He had seven points on two of nine shooting. He just, he didn't look like the guy. Nobody else on this roster stepped up in a big way. Again, Traore had a nice game. That's about it. I think this BYU team's in trouble. Like, I think they are in trouble, trouble. And if things don't turn around quickly, this could be a really ugly final season in the WCC. And they might be limping, limping into a really, really difficult slate in the Big 12 Conference. I mean, if this team doesn't pick it up from where they are right now and they look like this going into the Big 12 next year, they're going to be they're going to be in a world of pain. Final game that I want to talk about is Gonzaga's Friday opponent, the Michigan State Spartans, who the Zags are playing on an aircraft carrier in San Diego on November 11th, Veterans Day. Michigan State took care of business against Northern Arizona to kick off the season for Tom Izzo's squad. They won 73-55 to in that one. Only two players for Michigan State in double figures. Uh, somewhat of a balanced scoring attack for them. They also just only had 73 points. So there just wasn't a ton of scoring going down in this game. They were defensively very excellent. It obviously held Northern Arizona to under 60 points. Uh, Joey Hauser was the star for the Spartans. Uh, senior forward for them. 18 points and 10 rebounds. Sophomore guard Pierre Brooks came off the bench for them and had 14 points in just 17 minutes because he was 4 of 7 from deep. Another interesting notable stat from that game, uh, they shot 75% from the free throw line, which is good, but it was six for eight. 
Michigan State against a Northern Arizona squad only took eight free throws. Now, I didn't watch this game. This was a bit of box score surfing here. So I don't know how much of that was just unwillingness to get in the paint, the ref swallowing their whistles, some combination of both. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that kind of shakes out for for the game against Gonzaga on Friday because if Michigan State only gets eight free throw attempts against the Zags, I have a feeling that's going to be a bad result for the Spartans in general. I think Gonzaga is probably going to win this one anyway, although you, you never really know with these games and these weird situations. It can get uh, pretty dicey for both sides, uh, and you kind of don't know how it's going to impact certain players, but... For Michigan State, if they're not attacking around the rim, if they're not trying to get to the free throw line, I think that's going to cause some problems for them against Gonzaga on Friday. We got way more conversation coming your way about Michigan State, about that game on Friday. We got a couple more podcasts before we get there. We're going to talk plenty about it. Uh, We're also, of course, going to continue our player preview series. Very close to being done with that. Uh, Also, I want to remind you to not forget about the new podcast, Locked On College Basketball. Myself and Isaac Shade of Locked On Tar Heels are breaking down the biggest stories in college hoops every single day. Uh, You can check that out on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. For your next listen, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast, the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. Available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.